Hello, you're listening to Perpetual Learning. I'm Manjula Salvaraja, and it's going to feel a little bit like a sports podcast today. And I'm still in Siva, and I have zero problems with that. <laughs> I've got a funny story to tell you. Um, when I started my first journalism job at our public broadcaster in Canada, I told my executive producer, you know, you sit down with your executive producer and I said, well, here are the areas that I'm great at. You know, I can do uh, politics. I can do tech. Um, but here are the areas that are not my strengths. And I had one was <laughs> sports. So this, this person's looking at me completely stoic, no reaction to it and promptly assigned me a sports story soon after. So here's my perpetual learning lesson for anyone listening. Don't start a job and tell your boss what you can't do. Your job is to learn and learn quickly, basically. Fantastic. Something I would do for sure. <laughs> but we're here to talk about a leadership from the book, The Score Takes Care of Itself. Let's kick this off. So our, our talk is about leadership lessons from this book. And the book is by Bill Walsh, uh, Steve Jameson, and Craig Walsh. Who is Bill Walsh? He's, you know, in my mind, an iconic coach in the NFL who really pioneered what, you know, is known to be the West Coast offense, which is essentially a more dynamic, fluid style versus what the game had seen in the past. And since then, it's kind of become a prevalent style. Um, within the NFL and, and football in general. And, you know, he's won multiple championships with the San Francisco 49ers and just generally known to be a great leader and, and a great manager. And so a lot of coaches um, that have come through the NFL and have succeeded since come from the quote-unquote uh, Bill Walsh coaching tree. What's interesting, because the Toronto Star had this article, I looked it up, it's not like I'm any kind of an NFL expert, as you've just heard. Um, I, I looked up uh, his name, and the Toronto Star had an article about how something like when they took 37 Super Bowls, 30 of the 37 was a coaching tree from Bill Walsh, Bill Parcells, and one other coach. It was basically either them winning, or someone that they had that had grown under them that was coaching a team yeah. that had won, which which to me is, well, I mean, that made me even more excited about sort of going into this and, and learning learning some of what he has to say. But here's what I found fascinating. This book is from a decade ago. Like I read very, very recent stuff. So I'm just curious, why, why, why? Are you picking up books from a decade ago? Like, don't these leadership philosophies um, have a best before date? So, I mean, quick answer is no. I, I don't think so. And I'm actually a bit curious as to why you'd read some of the more recent books. I feel like they're usually a bit more topical and more into zeitgeist versus anything else, but perhaps a different conversation. Uh, but, you know, I think, you know, generally speaking, there's a lot of great content in old books that just don't get captured and talked about enough in the Internet era. Right? And, and, you know, today we can usually get a gist of the book without really even reading it. Right. Just read through a few of the reviews, listen, you know, to a couple of promotional interviews, whether it's podcasts or, or you know, YouTube videos or anything like that, just online interviews uh, from the author. And, and you know, when you compare that to some of the older books, I, I find that there are a lot of timeless 
classic that can be applied to any generation. And yeah, I think Andy Grove's high output management is another one, incredibly dry content. So I'll warn mm. you around that, but very helpful around providing tactical leadership advice. Um, so I think, you know, generally speaking, leadership philosophies is also one of those areas where you just don't have a best before day. I think the tools that we use and, you know, scope of the work might change, but the general approach to great leadership is fairly consistent. You know, you do make a fair point. I think that sometimes, uh, you know, the books that I may lean towards are ones that I just hear in the public discourse. And that could be, you know, when you meet right. people physically or you hear about it on social media. So you're right. And and sometimes it could just be you go into a bookstore and it's that paid for shelf that appears at the top. Doesn't necessarily mean that it is that it is of good quality or vetted quality. But but that's actually a, that's something for me to to ponder. And we can we can come back to that Um we can come back to that in, a, in another discussion. Now, one of the philosophies that stood out to you um, from the book is this idea of teaching connection and extension. Explain that to me. Yeah, it's a, it's a topical one for me, uh, given that I joined a company and built a team during COVID, right? When you're sitting at home doing work online, limited in-person interactions with other team members, it's pretty easy to feel detached from the company itself. You just clock in and clock out, you know, with the peer focus of just getting your deliverables done. The idea of essentially going out of your way to connect with someone who you might not interact with normally, or perhaps learn something new, isn't just as high because you have those, you know, quote unquote, you know, virtual blinders on. And so the idea of, you know, really pushing connection and extension is to really foster relationships and build collective knowledge across the organization. And you know, for example, one thing that I've done is just have quickly quick daily standups within my team virtually. Right. And and in my world it's pretty atypical to do this and it's usually more common in startups, but something that I felt was quite necessary just to get an understanding and of what everyone else is up to and essentially share knowledge and see where we can help each other out. Hmm. You know, th- this makes me think of something that, that I came across uh, this week uh, that I think is really fascinating. So it, um, in a fireside chat that I did recently with uh, Judy Hess, who's the CEO of Copperleaf Technologies. Um, now, why she's interesting and the company is interesting is that she is the only woman to head tech IPO on the TSX in 2021, and the company's done really well. Now, in the interview, she said that um, that everyone new to her company has to take a three-hour company culture course, and the person that conducts that course is Judy. I found this astounding. You know, here she is, a busy CEO of a company, a company with over a $1 billion valuation, and she's running a three-hour culture course at her company. Like, surely there must be um, other uh, management, maybe even junior employees or a consultant uh, that can do that. And and she said, you know, the reason for her is that she knows that the success of, of a company is people as much as, as technology. And she says that it's really important to have people that are coming in right at the start, have the CEO 
deliver that culture content and set that culture content. And in a way, I just, I just saw it as this interesting investment in cohesion and, uh, and, and a common direction. Don't you find that quite interesting? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, uh, definitely a great idea to, uh, do it herself versus trying to outsource it. Cause I think, you know, there's a lot more authenticity that comes with that. Now, the other idea that you liked from the book was a, was a strategy for helping employees focus their efforts. Uh, what does Walsh suggest there? Yeah, he suggests that, you know, we should really identify and revere the specific actions and attitudes that impact team performance. And I think there's really two parts to this. One is first being able to identify and, you know, really get granular on, on metrics versus having a high level metric and the other is to, you know, keep it to a select group of metrics versus an exhaustive list. And so when it comes to sports, as an example, the difference between managing a team based on the overall score versus more specific metrics, like taking basketball as an example, you know, going on, you know, field goal percentage, shot attempts, turnovers, uh, just to keep it as an example, right? And, and so the more specific you can get, um, and, and the more, you know, correlated that is to overall success versus just looking at high level scores, uh, you know, the more successful you as a leader and, and, and the team would be. Is it the idea that, that you're looking at this big goal and realizing that a whole bunch of things have to be fine tuned to get to that big goal and getting the people that are responsible for each of those dials, like giving them the metrics and the performance levels that you expect on those sort of mini dials? Exactly. Exactly. I think that is far more relevant versus just pointing to kind of the overall uh, performance and, and being able to uh, just be, you know, purely speak to that. And I would imagine too, then drawing a line between how the performance at that mini dial affects the overall goal as well, I, I would assume is also yeah. a way to go. Exactly. Now, this part I loved. Walsh is a huge believer in pre-planning. Um, he seems to be even really picky about when and where he does the planning. Um, he says that, you know, when people watch a football game, whatever appears to be going with the flow is, is actually even, even calls that are made in the middle of, of something furious that's going on. The, you know, the play that you see is actually really tightly scripted. I, I agree with this. In, in, um, I, I agree with this in so many aspects of my life, how I approach the week, how I approach the year, how I even approach something like this call. So, so take us through his idea of scripting. Yeah. I mean, for context, Walsh practically scripted not just his plays, but the sequence of his plays as much as possible, right? So it, it isn't just, you know, what's done in order, but you know, what is done in specific situations. And this allowed the team to ultimately be prepared and also tie practices to actual gameplay. And, and I know, Manjula, you and I talked about this, you know, personally, I've always, you know, prior to working with you really and, and reading this book, um, 
I've always looked down upon scripting. I thought that, you know, the ability to perform under pressure really just came with experience and having creativity. And I essentially took pride in going with the flow. And I think more recently through this mini cast and, and reading this book, my, my view has changed. I think scripting allows you to prepare so much better and, and reduces the cognitive effort while you're performing, right? And, and whether that's a podcast, music, or playing sports, you know, the impact of that on your overall ability to perform just improves that much more. How would that translate that idea of scripting into, let's say, uh, a negotiation that you're in or you're doing a uh, you're, you're presenting a deck to a to a bunch of investors? How, how do you imagine that that scripting happening beforehand? I mean, quite simply, just script what you're going to say and just practice it. Right. Um, that That's literally it. And, and, you know, the process of scripting allows you to you know, verbalize and actually, you know, visualize really um, depending on the situation how it plays out and, and that refines your thinking a lot more builds in clarity uh, quite similar to writing in that sense and allows you to uh, present in a much more effective way and i would imagine also scripting the the different options well if they say yes or they're divided or they say no or they bring up this issue i have a script that i can fall on Right. Exactly. Exactly. Having that decision tree in place, whether it's written somewhere or, or you know, just thought through, um, allows you to be that much more effective for sure. Now, here's a tough one that that leaders have: uh, when to stick to your guns and when to quit your position. What did you glean from the book on on how to make such a decision? I think my takeaway is that you know, deep down we know whether we should quit or, or continue going at it. I think it's a matter of whether we can admit it to ourselves and, and then admit it to others or not. And, and the key here is to make sure that you don't let your decisions to be driven by ego versus the fundamentals. The moment you allow your personal emotions to be the main driver of those decisions, you have likely made the wrong decision. Now, I'm just going to say that that one part of your newsletter that I really liked is where you put together a, a list on how not to fail as a leader gleaned from the book. And uh, I, I don't think we need to get into it here because I, I'm hoping that we can entice people to actually go check out your newsletter because there's so much detail there. Um, and and I, I went from what not to do, what not to do, and I and I kept thinking, well, each of these are great. So I'm just going to tell people, like, if if you haven't read the newsletter, read the newsletter. And and frankly, I think I am going to pick up the book as well because I I found the the advice um, insightful. But I will ask you this: Is it a readable book? Like, is it an enjoyable read? Yeah, no, I think it is a very concise read. I think I read it slowly, even though the book itself wasn't massive, only because I really wanted to digest what I was reading versus just, you know, powering through it. So it's one of those books where I think you read it chapter by chapter. And, and you know, you know, personally, as, as someone who leads a team, uh, you know, I think it, it's a great resource to uh, to help refine, you know, the way I lead, right? And, and the advice, like you mentioned, is super prescriptive. So what's your next read? Yeah, I'd say my next read, uh, you know, I might check out Hyperion. It's a science fiction novel that's been recommended 
by a few folks and, and one that uh, perhaps is a good balance after reading something like, you know, the score takes care of itself. Ah, neat. I've got this book. Um, I'm interviewing her. She's a, a climate scientist, uh, uh, Catherine Cahill, and the name of her book escapes me now, it's, which is funny because it's sitting right on my, on my bedside table, but, uh, but I'll be interviewing her and just in preparation, I'm reading the book, but it should be, it's, it's actually a, 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 a way to positively approach all of the information that, that we're hearing about, about climate change. So it should be fascinating. So, hey, are we on next week? Absolutely. Great. We'll talk next week. All right. Sounds good. Check then.